So I've really been enjoying the book of Exodus. We're learning a lot as we've been studying through this book together. And we really see God, what he's doing, he's making a community of faith, which is neat to think about here. So it's kind of like what he's done with us. You guys know that we are a community. We are a family here, a group of people that believe. We have faith, and we have faith in Jesus. We're not just a faith community. Our faith is actually in God, the living God. So as we've been considering since we started chapter 13 and all the way through chapter 19, I hope you guys are catching this, it's really about God's relationship between his people, these newly redeemed people, Israel. And what we notice is that there isn't such a stark, like a stark contrast between them, okay, Israel and us, the church today, as we might have thought there was. We understand, guys, that God has one people. He only has one people. There's not two people that he has. He has one people. You're either his or you're not. <laughs> Those are only two groups of people, really, in the world who've ever been or going to be or is today. And God has always and only had one people and always only had one means of deliverance. Only one. God saves us by grace through faith. Can you guys say that with me? By faith, through grace, okay? So God saved Israel by grace, through faith. And no one has ever, ever been saved by the law. That is a perversion of the gospel. And we got to be so careful. You might be the best person on the planet right now. You're not good enough to make it to heaven someday. Why? Because you have sinned just like every one of us. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short. That's why we need a Savior. That's why God did what he did. So as God is delivering Israel out of Egypt, and Egypt is always a picture of the world, okay? So when we study the scriptures, keep that in mind. It's a picture of the world. We recognize this is a picture of God's deliverance of his people from sin. So the New Testament, it really carries this idea out for us. So we continue to read these similar situations of Israel and the things they find themselves in that we continue to face today. There's no difference. So I want to take a look with you guys in Exodus 17. We're going to start in verse 1 here. It says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel, they set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out. Out of it, and the, the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massar Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So, water from the rock, okay, is the Lord among us? That's the question in verse 7. You know, or the question could be, where is or was God? Have you guys ever asked that question? Yeah. Okay. Let's start with this hard question for us to answer because it is a question I think many people ask. Even people who don't believe in God. <laughs> where was God, right? People have this question. I think just this last week, you guys know the mill right here in Kakana? A man died at work. Don't know the details of it, but why'd that happen? And then I think of Friendship, Wisconsin. There's a town 
in Wisconsin called Friendship. That'd be a pretty cool place to live, right? Okay. Well, three people died in a car crash in Friendship, Wisconsin. There should never be an accident in a city called or Friendship, right? <laughs> you ask the question, why did that happen? Okay. This is known as theodicy. Okay. It's the vindic. It means it's the vindication of God. Okay. So theodicy is the answer to the question why God permits evil. Do you guys think this is a pretty important for question theology for us to wrap our brains around to get a hold of what God has to say concerning this? Absolutely. Because this is a question everybody has. So I want to look to a philosopher by the name of Lex Luthor. Have you guys heard of him before? He said in uh, the Batman versus Superman movie, if God is all-powerful, he cannot be all good. And if he's all good, then he cannot be all powerful. In other words, guys, this is what is known as the problem of evil. This has been a great debate over the years. So often we don't know where to begin. Someone's child dies. Okay, Christian, <laughs> you're all loving, good God. Why did he allow that to happen? Someone loses their home, maybe their livelihood, or their spouse. Okay, Christian, where is your God? And if we're honest, guys, we also question God when we're faced with very frowning circumstances in this life, in our own lives. Normally, we offer three dodges, not answers. I'm going to call them dodges. Follow me with this, guys, okay? Kind of like smoke screens. The two wills argument. A lot of theologians are really good at throwing out these answers to this question, okay? And they become God's PR person. Do you guys know that God doesn't need PR people? He's God, period. So they throw out, hey, there's two wills, his sovereign will and his permissive will. How many of you guys have heard of this before? All right, yeah, it comes up often, which is when God allows things, his permissive will is when he allows those things uh, that he doesn't want to happen. And no, that is absolutely bad teaching, okay? That is not theologically right. That's not what the Bible teaches us at all. Do you guys know that God decrees all things that pass? When the Bible talks about his sovereignty, he is sovereign, guys. That is something we know. He is in control, okay? What he wants, he gets. He is the living God, okay? So he does whatever pleases him, okay? He's not running for God. God is God, okay? <laughs> There's another argument that's thrown out there, and it's the powerful enemy argument. It says when good things happen, that's God. But when bad things happen, that's who? That's Satan, right? That's the devil. Nope. <laughs> Do you guys know that the <laughs> devil's on a short leash? You guys ever read the book of Job? Check it out in chapter one, man. <laughs> he can't do anything unless God allows it, okay? He has to have permission. Also, another argument is that God depends on your faith. That's what's going to move God, and that is a very big teaching today, okay? I read a book yesterday. The entire premises of the book was on that and the miracle of healings. Now, I absolutely believe, and we're going to be getting into 1 Corinthians 12 real quick here, and we're going to start dealing with the spiritual gifts, okay? How many of you guys believe God can heal? Absolutely. How many of you guys believe he doesn't always heal? Absolutely, okay? I've been having some crazy stuff for a week and a half, okay? Seeing lots of doctors having tests. You think I've prayed for some healing? Absolutely. I know you guys have been praying. Thank you very much, okay? God is definitely giving grace, but there's still problems. Why doesn't God just heal? Because he's allowing it for some reason, okay? There is a reality in the sanctifying of kidney stones, okay? <laughs> um, God uses it for his purpose. That's a whole nother study. We've taught on that before, but the point is <laughs> it's not dependent upon our faith, okay? God does not depend upon your faith, okay? It says, this argument says, if you believe enough or if you hadn't spoken those certain words into existence, Okay, and we can see so many times in scriptures that it is based on his grace, right? Isn't it his mercy? It's his love. That's what we're taught in scripture. It's not about our faith. Okay, he is God. So the Israelites, they were telling God his 
unrighteousness in dealing their dealings with them. Okay, God, why are you doing this? We're, we're thirsty. <laughs> you brought us out of Egypt. You delivered us for what purpose? Just to let us die now in the wilderness? Really? You, why would you do that, God? So they're complaining here. And they demand what? <laughs> Give us drink. We want water to drink. So this is the really, it's the height of arrogance, okay, as if God owed it to them. Do you guys get the feel of what's going on here? God, you owe us. It's really a lack of humility. It's prayerlessness. So we might not say it that way, okay? <laughs> but how often do we say, hey, God, give me... Aren't we good at that? But we are equally mad when he doesn't meet our expectations, so do we think that God owes us? That's a good question. I know that's the way we think, because I catch myself thinking that way sometimes. When I counsel some of you guys, those are some of the things that you're sharing with me. Well, I've been doing this. God should be doing this for me then. That's our human, that's our, that's our human mentality, guys. So another question I think we need to ask is, does God owe you anything? Does he? I know what I, I, I deserve hell. I mean, it's like, what are we really deserving of? <laughs> you know, I've rebelled against the living God. I've been very selfish. I'm a sinful man. I know what I deserve. You know, and if we really got what we should be owed, guys, we deserve death, eternal separation from God. That's truth. But I want us guys to listen because we might say, how dare they, <laughs> those Israelites. This has been written for our learning. Israel's an example for you and I. Again, we're not that different, guys. I want us to listen carefully to what the Israelites are saying to us because it really takes one to know one, right? So see, when something happens that we know is beyond our control, see how I said that, okay? All things are out of our control. All things. But some things remind us of it, that it is beyond our control. So the accusation assumes that God should run the universe for me being the center of it. Is that the way it is? That's the way we live, don't we? It's all about me. Why aren't things shaking out for me? Why is this happening to me, right? Um, and this really is the key when it comes to the question, where is God? What type of mentality do we have? Now, there's two tracks that you can go down. One is the God-centered view, okay? If my assumption is that God is God and I exist for his glory, as we studied last week there in 1 Corinthians 10, that was the whole Bible study, catch it online, uh, if you missed it, but that's the point. We've been created for his glory. Then if you have that type of view, guys, I can say to God, you do with me what you will in order to bring glory to yourself. That sounds like a right biblical mentality, doesn't it? Then when a bad report comes and my assumption is, this is happening because his infinite wisdom knows that this circumstance in my life will maximize his glory. So my prayer is, will you give me grace to endure these circumstances so that I might maximize your glory through my life? That's what it's about. We all go through hard things, guys. And in whatever we do, whatever we eat or drink, right, we do all to the glory of God. But the me-centered view is, God, you exist to bring me glory, to comfort me. And it's about my happiness. And you are not doing your job really well right now. That's a wrong mentality, right? So that's the sin at really the heart of this. So we thus only see when everything is done rightly by God is when our wants and our desires and our comforts are the end result. And it's when we have too low of a view of who God truly is, and that's the problem. We have not treasured him. We have not exalted him rightly. Biblically, we start to think this way. 
into our, you know, our high view of ourselves. That's a dangerous thing. So guys, remember that God was putting them to the test, not vice versa here. Yet, that's what uh, they're doing, putting God to the test. So which is what we're doing when we put God on the stand and we ask him why he allows war, why he allows evil, or why did you allow this to happen in my life? Instead of being the true supreme court, it's become the people's court. And do you guys see how backwards that is? And that's exactly what Israel is doing here. So think about it. When we put God to the test, it's just as satanic as when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness and he tried to get Jesus to prove himself. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. But didn't Jesus refuse to submit to the devil's trial? Not because he couldn't pass, because the trial itself was wrong. So listen to a very loud warning that we get from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16 tells us, you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. So here, it's referring back to this event. Israel, you blew it. <laughs> you tested God. You don't do that. And yet, God, to our amazement here, he went ahead and he gave them, you know, the hearing they wanted, Right? Submitted himself to judgment, not to their judgment, but to his own. And we'll see everything changes after the laws given in Exodus chapter 20. Okay, Things radically change at that time. It's kind of like raising our children, right? No discipline when they don't know what they're doing. But once they know, <laughs> right, you know what's right and wrong. Okay, There is discipline that's needed. So, what did the water from the rock proof what's significant about that what's the big deal well it really proved guys everything about god that the israelites were questioning remember we're demanded uh, they were demanding what provision take care of us god okay so they were demanding his provision they were denying his protection and they were doubting his presence but the water flowing from the rock proved all of these things. It proved that God has the power to provide. Do you guys know that? And he's promised to do so. You guys can jot down Psalm 78, verse 15 and 16. It says this, He split open the rocks in the wilderness to give them water, as from a gushing spring. And he made streams pour from the rock, making the waters flow down like a river. We also see, guys, that God also is their protector. Instead of judging his people for their sins, especially this unbelief, he submitted himself to judgment so they could live. That kind of sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? I deserve that judgment. I deserve being nailed to that cross. I'm the one who sinned. But God took it for us, took our judgment, okay? So he is our protector. And also, the rock was the proof of God's presence. The Israelites wanted to know if God was with them or not. That was the question. Well, there he was, their Savior, okay, standing on a rock, the first part of verse 6. And you guys know how often the Bible refers to God as a rock? The rock? It's pretty cool, right? He's the rock of Israel. He's the rock whose works are perfect. He's the rock that was the fortress and refuge, the rock of our salvation, okay? So the rock that Moses struck with his rod was a symbol of God and his salvation. And the rock is Christ because like the rock, it showed how God would submit to the blow of his own justice so that out of him would flow life to his people. So Christ was struck with divine judgment and punishment. In all of Paul's writing, guys, he makes that most clear in where? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we just not there last week. Do you guys see how cool it is? We didn't plan it this way. <laughs> but Corinthians and Exodus, we've been studying through the two. It's so clear. 
And out of all of Paul's epistles, 1 Corinthians 10, guys, really shows and speaks to this specific story here in Exodus 17 of God bringing water out of the rock in the wilderness. He's referring to the first seven verses here in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul said that rock was who? It was Christ. Okay, how cool is that? And oh, that's why God was so mad at Moses, okay? You guys remember why Moses wasn't able to enter into the promised land? Because he struck that rock a second time, okay? Christ was struck once. He died once for our sins, okay? Once and for all. That's why when he was on the cross, he cried out, what? It is finished. It is done, okay? You misrepresented me. You struck me again, Moses. And because of that, you're not going to be able to enter the promised land. We'll get to that soon in Exodus. Okay? But that's what the Catholics do when they partake of communion. Do you guys know they actually believe they're re-crucifying Jesus? Oh. You can't enter in, guys. There's no more sacrifices to be done. Jesus died once for our sins. And he was buried and he arose again. It is finished, guys. No more sacrifices to be done. We can't do anything else. There's only one Savior. And he's already done the saving. And that saving is a gift for anyone who will believe on him and receive it by faith. So, don't you guys love the gospel? I love it. All right. Yeah. Anyways. Um, the rock. Okay. Again, we know it's Christ. Okay. Because it flowed with water of life. Right. Remember, as he hung on the cross, okay, and they stuck the spear in his side, what came out? Blood and, and water, right? Blood shed for our sins and water, not simply to prove that Jesus died on the cross, but to show us that his death brings life, okay? Um, cool picture, right? Christ is that rock. Believe on him, guys, and you'll have torrents of living water coming out of you. Isn't that what Jesus told us in the Gospel of John? I love it. All right, let's move on. This gets better. Um, if you guys have time, look up um, Warren Wearsby. Okay, he has a, a, a neat sermon laid out on intercession and intervention right here when it comes to this passage of Scripture. Um, and it really is a lesson on prayer. How many of you guys want a better prayer life? Show a hand. Yeah, that's one thing that I always striving for wanting to i've read a lot of books over the years on prayer i want to be stirred up in that um and really this section really is uh dealing with prayer and i told you guys last week that i was going to be speaking vision to our church and it was going to come around what the importance of prayer okay we need to be a house of prayer that's what we need to be doing so you guys are going to get it i promised it and here it is okay this morning um so long before paul really explains you guys familiar with the armor of god in ephesians chapter 6 there okay way before he explained that we are tipped off here that there's an invisible war okay between the powers of darkness and the children of light and the only way for us to prevail in the spiritual battle is really persevering in prayer we know that is so important. So there's an enemy that we're introduced to here in verse 8, Amalek. Let's take a read. Now Amalek came and he fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose uh, us some men to go out and to fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur, they went up on the top of the hill. And so it was <coughs> when Moses held up his hand and Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. Um, and the other on the other side, and the hands, they were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek 
from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and he called the name, The Lord is my banner. And he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek for generation, from generation to generation. Now you can jot down Numbers chapter 24, verse 20. It says, Amalek was the first among the nations. The first. The Amaleks, what we know about them, they were a very cruel people, a very cowardly people also. They were notorious for attacking people. They would plunder people, kind of like land pirates. Okay, kind of picture that of these Amalekites. Uh, They were able to do so because they domesticated camels. Okay, Judges 7 verse 12 tells us this. Okay, and with that, they had this swiftness of surprise riding these camels. Hey, where's my camel? There he is. Boom! So I want to give you guys a little bit of backstory real quick. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 25. Listen carefully. I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary. And they struck down those who were straggling behind. Who straggles behind, guys? The sick and the old. Okay, They had no fear of God, we're told. And then verse 19 says, Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies in the land, he has given you a special possession. You must destroy the Amalekites and erase their memory from under heaven Never forget this. Those are some pretty strong words. What's going on here? Well, the Amalekites, guys, they were nomadic desert tribes, Bedouins, okay, uh, ranging from Sinai all the way up to Arabia. Uh, Their genealogy traced back uh, Amalek as being the grandson to Esau. You guys remember tensions between Jacob and Esau? Well, their offspring still having problems to this point, right? Um, Deuteronomy shows us that these attacks, they were unprovoked. They're attacking the weak, the sick, the helpless. These Israelites were lagging behind, as well as those who uh, lacked the fear of Israel's God. Uh, So since the Amalekites had shown no mercy to Israel, they were going to receive none. Okay, Israel was to blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So more than 400 years later, guys, catch this. 400 years later, you remember King Saul, right? King Saul was told to do it, but he kept King Agag alive. 1 Samuel 15, you guys can check that out. And Saul wasn't willing to destroy them. He kept the best and he destroyed all that was worthless and despised. So God stripped the kingdom from him because of this. Like, this is serious. God says to do this, you do this, okay? So God stripped the kingdom from Saul because of that. We're also told that David defeated the Amalekites in 2 Samuel chapter 1, but they were not completely wiped out until another 300 years after that in Hezekiah's day. And we read of that in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 41 and on. Okay? I know that's a lot of referencing, but this is historically significant. This is a big deal when it comes to Israel. And we see the real complications that they had because they didn't obey God, okay? Now, I want to consider with you guys um, the engagement now, okay? Um, There's the physical battle, but there's also the spiritual battle going on, okay? Um, How often do you guys discern, hey, there's something spiritually going on, and then a bunch of physical stuff starts happening, okay? There's stuff going on that we don't always know about or we can't always exactly discern what's happening. We might get bits and pieces like, hey, there's some warfare going on right now. I need to be praying, you know. Um, So let's remember that our Bible really is a battle book. Do you guys look at it that way? Like, here's a manual. (laughs) We're at war, you know. Um, And I love it because we actually get our enemy's playbook from it. This is how he works. We're not ignorant of his schemes. He hasn't changed much. Okay, humanity kind of still dealing with the same stuff, right? Here we're looking at Israel, God's people, thousands of years ago. We're still having the same struggles, dealing with the same things, doing the same stuff. 
Um, but really, there's been ever since this you know, uh, celestial battle that took place in heaven. We have Lucifer, right? You guys familiar with this? Have you read Isaiah 14? Okay, we know up in heaven that there was a battle that took place. And he was cast down all the way until Revelation, right? The earth, okay? There's this battle going on. Um, it's like today. We deal with enemies both from within and enemies from without. Okay, there's a lot of war happening. This is the Israelites' first opposition since arriving in the wilderness from without. Maybe the Malachites interpreted uh, them being uh, there is a threat in the territory. Hey, there are many. <laughs> we might not have the resources to support all these people. We need to take them out. We don't know for sure. I have no idea. I know you guys don't have a clue. Um, we don't know. But we see first Israel watched God defeat Egypt. This is what they've seen. God's delivered us. The parting of the Red Sea. He set us free. We were in bondage. We were slaves. We cried out. He heard us. He's delivered us, right? But now they are about to enter the battle themselves and trust God for the victory. So how they are told to engage the enemy is interesting. Some engaging them on the battlefield and others were engaging on a different battlefield. Okay, on one side you have the Amalekites fighting, you know, the Bedouin soldiers, right? These mighty soldiers. And on the other hand, who do you have in Israel, we were never trained for war. They wouldn't want to teach us how to fight. All they taught us how to be was to be slaves. <laughs> That's all we know. We're, we're not an army. We have no clue what to do in a battle. So you guys kind of have a picture of what's going on here. okay? Um, so the thought here of the attack really is an historical event. It, it points to a higher spiritual reality, and that's what we need to catch here. So we're going to see the staff and a sword here. So let's consider the staff together. We read that hands were lifted high, okay? And what type of posture is this when you have prayer, right? Praise, prayer. Okay, in Exodus 9, verses 27, 28, and 29, we have a picture of Moses interceding for Pharaoh with his hands lifted up okay and it really is an international sign of surrender isn't it <laughs> busted <laughs> okay right it's a surrender and isn't that what we're doing in prayer lord i'm surrendering to your will okay so kind of like a roller coaster you guys the youth group went up to bay beach last week you guys do the zip and pippin right any kids raise their hands yeah, right? I surrender. I can't do anything. <laughs> I'm along for the ride. Whatever happens, happens, right? Isn't that? Okay. So uh, <laughs> it's a point of revealing that we're not in control. That's the, it's all you, God, because I, 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 I got nothing. Okay, I'm surrendering. You guys can jot down Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you in the lifting up of my hands as evening sacrifice, okay? And also in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place, Freedom Fellowship included, guys, every place, that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling, okay? So hands, they're for work, they're for worship, and they're also for praying, guys. So they were not designed to be kept in your pockets. They were not designed for sinning. Okay? They are not for touching your girlfriend or abusing somebody. Romans says, don't use your members to sin with. Pretty simple. So instead, use your hands to fight injustice. Use these hands to feed the poor. Use these hands that God's given you to cherish, to love your wife. To embrace your kids. To pray. Victory. <laughs> Defeat. Hands up, hands down. It's cool. Do you guys know that most people, at least in the Middle East, the other side of the world, do you guys know how they pray? 
fold your hands and bow your head. No, when they pray, they pray like this. I've gotten to do some missions over there. It's pretty cool. Hey, let's pray. Everybody raises their hands. How cool is that? Okay. Um, it's biblical. But for us guys, we like folding our hands. If we only believed in the importance of prayer, why don't we pray? Because I don't think we believe. Israel wins or Israel loses based on what? Prayer. Moses is interceding up on the mountain. So what happens when we don't pray? Well, it's very simple. <laughs> Losing the battle. Maybe the reason Moses went up on the hillside was so everyone could see him making sure Israel learned that there's power in prayer. You guys who like to read, Ian Bounds, Power Through Prayer. Phenomenal book on prayer. Okay, You'll be stirred up. Um... If Moses didn't do this, okay, we would have celebrated what? Their own military prowess, right? Oh, look at Israel. A bunch of slaves know how to kick some butt. Aren't they awesome? Who gets the glory, guys? God. Which is exactly what would happen if we were able to defeat our spiritual battles enemy without prayer, right? Who gets... Look how spiritual I am. <laughs> I kick Satan's butt again. <laughs> I bound him in the name of Jesus. Oh, I can't stand when people pray that. You guys ever hear that? I bind you in the name of Jesus. Really? Well, how long is he bound? Because you're binding him again and again. And <laughs> you know, that's the problem, guys. Okay? We need to be praying. Because if we have the power to resist temptation or overcome habitual sin in our own strength, we become hopelessly self-righteous. Look at what I've done. Look how great I am. Look what I can do. But God brings us to our knees where in our weakness, guys, we cry out to him for help. Last 11 days, my number one prayer hasn't changed much. I'm in a lot more pain, but my number one prayer has not changed at all. My number one prayer for over 20 years is, Lord, help. Father, I need help. God, help me, please. There's a lot of times when I'm here preaching, guys, and I'm praying. And a lot of it is like, God, I need help. <laughs> I do pray a lot of other things, but that is the first and foremost prayer in my life. Guys, remember when Peter was sinking? Maybe it's because I'm a sinker. <laughs> I feel like I'm sinking a lot in this life. Okay? Shortest prayer in the Bible, Lord help. Immediately, we're told Jesus grabbed his hand and pulled him up. And there's times things are shaking out, and I'm just like, God, you know the situation. I don't have to explain to you everything that's going on, everything they said, all this stuff that's happening. You know the circumstance. Lord, I need help right now. Lord, help. So, Moses, we're told here, guys, he grew tired, didn't he? But then he realizes, do you guys know that prayer? <laughs> prayer is work. Okay? The Bible talks about prayer being a labor. Okay? It is work. I don't go to a lot of conferences, but one thing I've intentionally done uh, since being a pastor here at Freedom is I go to prayer summits, and I will take a prayer summit any day over a conference where I'm told how to do ministry. I'd rather get before the throne of grace and hear directly from my Heavenly Father to be able to pray for you guys, for the ministry here at Freedom, for revival, for what God is doing, okay? There's power found there. And so many you know, people over the years just like, oh, you got away for a four-day prayer conference? You know, what'd you do? We prayed. Really? You just prayed for four days? Yeah. We, we prayed. We prayed. You know? Well, I hope you're refreshed. I hope, I hope everything's good. I hope it was relaxing. No, it was a lot of work. I was exhausted. I slept really hard at night because there's a labor. If you're really praying, guys, there's a labor in that. It is work. 
but it's something we're called to. And it's going to be tiresome for Moses. Man, there's a battle going on. <laughs> when I'm praying, interceding, okay, the battle's being won. But how long can we do this? There's some worship songs I really like. But sometimes you know how those worship teams will sing the same chorus over and over? And like, this song's getting loud. <laughs> My arms are getting heavy, right? Tiresome. And that's what happened with Moses. His arms grew tired, but then he realizes what happens down in the valley depends on what's going on up on the hillside. So thus, the most important thing is prayer. Man, my kid's going through this, and I want to help. I want to fix it. Pray. Pray. That's the key, guys. Why are victories won? Why do we see that success? It's prayer. You know, I know my parenting skills aren't the best. <laughs> Pray. I don't know what to do in this situation. Pray. Even when I know what to do in this situation. Pray. You guys getting the point here? We need to be praying. So we learn about prayer, our prayer life here. It's not strength but it's weakness are you guys tracking with me okay i don't want us to miss this okay moses grew tired and the prophet could not persevere in prayer and that's why we need a better mediator you guys think of a better mediator we got jesus guys whoever lives to make intercession for us think about that that's biblical that's in the book of hebrews guys chapter 7 verse 25 he ever lives. He's praying for us right now. Isn't that really cool? He's praying for us. Success in battle is dependent upon prayer. So people say that the pen is mightier than the sword. But in this case, guys, the prayer that was mightier than the sword. Okay. Um, the power of prayer is not in prayer itself. Don't miss that. Okay. A lot of people are just like, oh, we're seeing God do so much, okay, because we have this prayer event, and we have that prayer conference, or maybe it's a prayer summit. God does move through prayer. We can testify to that. But it's not the prayer. It's the one to whom we pray. It's God. <laughs> He's the one moving. And sometimes I think he is moving, and when we do take the time to pray, we actually find ourselves in tune. Like, oh, I hear you, God. So a lot of times we think prayer is us talking to God. No, prayer is a conversation. If you don't take time to listen to God, it's a one-way conversation. I don't know about you guys, but some of my best prayer times, I don't say much. I'm just being still before the Lord. You're speaking now. There's so many times he's speaking through his word. He's like, whoa. I'm reading, but I'm praying as I'm reading. I'm praying as I'm studying. And God starts downloading and starts speaking stuff. And I know that's happening this morning for some of you guys. We're just going through the word, and God's speaking to you. Like, yeah, these are truths. We need to grasp it. This is good. But there's other things going on in your life that God is specifically speaking into right now. Don't you guys love when he does that? That's so good. So, um... The power of prayer is not in prayer itself, but the power of God. So by praying, we're acknowledging our absolute dependence upon God. Amen. It's got to be him. Okay? I want us to be a fellowship that is dependent upon the Lord. Okay? It's not upon a man. It's not upon a program. It's not about this methodology of ministry. <laughs> no, this is God's church. This is his deal. He's the one who adds to the church. Okay? He's the one who's going to bring forth the fruit. All we can do is obediently surrender to what he asks. Lord, you've asked us to gather together. You've told us to be in your word. Okay? We're going to do that. You've taught us that we need to be praying. Guess what? We need to be praying. So when we have men's prayer on Saturday, men show up at 8. We need to be praying. So um, Aaron and her, okay, they teach us something too when it comes to the need of prayer. And it's 
the need of prayer with others. Well, I got a great prayer life, okay? I will tell you this. If you have a great prayer life, you will desire to be in prayer with other people. That's just a part of it. I love Sunday mornings. I love this time. My other favorite time of the week is Tuesday mornings. I get to, with a group, another 10, 11 pastors every Tuesday. I've been doing it for years, okay? They love you guys. A lot of you guys don't even know who they are, okay? But we take turns. They'll come here on site, and they're praying for Freedom Fellowship. They're praying for you guys. When I get prayer requests from you guys, we'll bring that up on a Tuesday morning. And let me tell you what, the prayers of a righteous man avail much. Okay? Most of these pastors are way older than I am. Most of them have been doing ministry twice as long as I have, and I've been in ministry for over 20 years. Okay? These are well-seasoned saints, and they are humble enough to pray. I have a hard time getting together with a lot of pastors locally. Sometimes I have to drive all the way out to Shyockton, New London, just to find pastors who are willing to pray together. But it's worth the drive. It's worth the time to carve that out. Because I see God do so much more in that little time of prayer <laughs> than me spinning my wheels trying to do a lot myself. So we need to be in corporate prayer, and that's what we learn uh, from these guys here, okay, Aaron and her. So the picture of corporate prayer, corporate prayer, our best defense against the evil one. We need to be praying together. Sometimes prayer is easy. Would you guys say, yeah? Yeah, this season's good. And then other times it's a battle, isn't it? Like the last thing I want to do right now is to be praying. This is the hardest thing. I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling, just coming down, okay? It's a battle. It's a battle. So we know that Jesus must win the war, but we have the opportunity to wage, uh, wage that war. How? We join in the battle the same way Moses did, through prayer. It's by persevering and prevailing in prayer that we see uh, that, that we are victorious in the battlefield of sin and temptation. How many times are we told, okay, when we're tempted? We need to pray. When you're overwhelmed, okay, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Well, how do we do that? Well, we pray to the rock, Jesus, right? Okay? Pray. So Jesus' arms never get tired. Do you guys know that Jesus is pretty buff? You guys know that? Okay. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't sleep. Okay. He is a greater intercessor. But it wasn't only prayer. Okay. We see here Joshua also had to fight. Okay. So we have prayer and battle going on. And it takes intercession on the mountain as well as intervention in the valley for God's people to win the victory. Okay. That was Warren Wearsby. But that caught me this week. I'm like, yeah. Both, okay? We need to be in the battle. We need to be in the battle. So we also have the sword, guys. And this is the first reference here in Exodus 17 where we see Joshua, okay? And he'll become Moses' commander-in-chief. He'll lead the Israelites' conquest into Canaan. Although it is God's work to help us, we must be active in our cause. Now that we are alive from the dead, we must also wrestle now with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness uh, if we're to overcome. Do you guys understand that? There's a very real spiritual battle going on. Some of you guys, when you got saved, you're like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> there really is a battle raging. There's a war over the souls of every man and woman upon this planet. Yeah, okay. You can see those things going on. And then you get a target, too. Don't you love that? It's like you come to faith, and you start walking with Jesus, and it's just like, wow. <laughs> These attacks just start coming. Like, what's this all about? <laughs> okay? Well, there's a spiritual battle going on. So um, now that we're alive from the dead, we're going to be at war. So I think that we as Christians, we need to think of spiritual warfare. Um, I think we think about it far too much in the physical realm. Would you guys agree? Every little thing, okay? Well, this is spiritual warfare. Well, things just happen in life too. But there is a spiritual battle, but it may manifest partly in the physical, but a lot of it's spiritual, okay? There's times, you know, where I share with people, I don't know what's going on. I can't see with my physical eyes, okay? But we need to be praying right now, okay? This doesn't make sense, but we need to just pray right now. So when people ask for prayer, please pray. You know, well, they're not going through anything really, or it's not that bad. 
oh, maybe there's something much bigger going on that we can't discern or don't know about until we get on our knees and we get in the battle ourselves. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is. So um, I think we see things like disease or depression, accidents, technical difficulties, natural disasters that are happening all over the world, uh, the different wars going on, terrorism. You know, We think that they're all direct from Satan. But the real battle, guys, it's not visible, but it's invisible. That's the real battle. The things that we cannot see, okay, are only really skirmishes in the cosmic spiritual strife that's going on between God and Satan. I think about those that the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, have blinded to the gospel. That's the biggest battle. What if we gain this whole world and lose our souls? This is, <laughs> these are people created, eternally created. That's what matters. So yes, the war is really raging all the time and all around us, but more frightening really is the way that it rages within us. How many, how many of you guys have so much turmoil, <laughs> war battling going on? Guys, I've heard it referred to as the battlefield of the mind, okay? And I think just about how much stuff goes on and those fiery darts from the enemy. And it's just like, man, I can be thinking rightly. <laughs> and here comes a fiery dart. And then, hey, you're right. You should be bitter. How dare they? Or how, did, how dare you? <laughs> you're a Christian and you did that. I mean, it's just every angle. The battle's ridiculous. So our real enemy is not other people. The real enemy is really Satan himself, okay, with all his unholy helpers. They attack us <clears throat> even after we're saved, hoping to do something to, you know, that will bring dishonor to God and rob him of his glory. Um, let's go back to Joshua as we begin to wrap this up. Um, again, I said this is the first mention of him. Do you guys know what Joshua's name means? The Lord is salvation. Think about that, okay? So, Yahoshua is the proper Hebrew name for Jesus, okay? But it's been shortened to Yeshua. So, we have a Joshua and a Moses in one person, Yeshua and Jesus, okay? Who will both intercede for us and fight for us. Think about our Jesus for a second, guys. Consider him with me for a moment. He does both. Isn't that pretty cool? So we can fight like Joshua, but we don't pray like Moses. We're not going to win, okay? We need to be doing both here. We need to be brave, okay? Joshua, uh, <laughs> he was brave when it came to... Um, taking on the Amalekites, what was set before him. Well, what's set before us? Where can we be brave? Well, it's the people that God set right before you, okay? Sometimes we need to step up. Dads, you need to be dads. Husbands, you need to be husbands. Moms need to be moms, okay? We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to be light in our communities. We do something. We need to engage, okay? We need to be brave like Joshua that will or in. <clears throat> Engage those things, okay? I think about all the exploiting of the vulnerable today. We as a church, we need to speak truth. We're to be a pillar in our societies of truth. The world's saying a whole lot. And coming against the most vulnerable, we're telling little children, this is how you should think. This is what's right. This is how you will find your identity. And so much of what's being spewed out is right from the pit of hell. Okay? We need to be in prayer, but we also need to be speaking truth. Okay? So who's that going to be? Because throwing stuff up on Facebook, that ain't going to do a whole lot. But if you get an opportunity with one of your neighborhood kids, with a nephew or a niece, speak truth into their life, to have conversations. What's your story? You know, why do you think that? And then be able to share them. You know what? There is a God in heaven who created you, and this is what he says. They need truth, but what's going to set them free from that? The truth, okay? We also need to pray. We need to be in prayer, guys. 
I also love the braveness here of Joshua, okay? Um, he's just going for it. So let's be praying. Be praying for those on the mission field. Be praying. We also need those who stay back, okay? We're called to go. But there's those who stay back. How many of you guys support missionaries financially? Yeah, that's kind of easy to do, isn't it? You know, today I just, I'll be honest, there's been missions that we've supported that I've totally forgotten about until I look at my bank account. Oh, yeah. And then you know what happens when that happens? I get convicted. Here, I, I can throw money at them, but I forgot to be praying for them the last few weeks. Shame on me. We need to be doing both. So we have Jesus to fight for us, our Joshua, and we have Moses to pray for us. So we need to fight our spiritual battles like Joshua and pray like Moses. Now, we have the blot and the banner, okay? We need to cover this quickly. Utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven and blot them out. So God was so severe on them, most likely because of their attack on the vulnerable, the Amalekites will be utterly blotted out, we're told. I think that's cool, okay? Um, have you ever met an Amalekite? Anybody? Ever meet one? Me neither, right? Okay? Um, I've looked for their flag at the Olympics. <laughs> They're not there, okay? Um, I want to talk to you guys about the banner because this is really cool, okay? I love their insight here. They did not praise Moses for his prayer life. Did we catch that in this chapter? They did not praise Joshua for his fighting ability to lead them, right? They praise who? God and God alone. Don't miss that, brother and sister. They praise the Lord, period. Okay, they gave God the victory, and he alone gets the glory. So, um, the Lord is my banner, Yahweh Nisi, okay? It's a divine title name. It's a military standard. It's a piece of cloth bearing an army insignia, a flag, uh, identity, security. Um, today, guys, uh, we would say, the Lord is my flag. Think about that. That's how we would say it today. When they say the Lord is my banner, we would say the Lord is my flag. So what flag are you flying? Okay. Hopefully it's Jesus. Hopefully that's the flag that people see. Because let me tell you what, there's a lot of flags flying today, but I don't see a lot of Jesus flags out there. See a lot of Christians flying a lot of flags today. I wish it was a Jesus flag. Because we're the only ones, guys, who can say the Lord is my banner. We're the ones that have that confession. We're the ones that know the truth. So soldiers, guys, would always look to the banner. Why? Because it establishes identity. It helps them know who they are. And on the battlefield, guys, it helps them keep their bearing. Say, hey, where's the flag? All right. That's where we're attacking. That's where we need to be. Okay? Um, it also gives them courage and hope because, hey, the flag's still there. <laughs> it's still standing. So as long as their banner is still flying, they know that the battle is not lost. I don't know about you guys, but my Jesus is still on the throne. He's still in control. All these things are going on in the world. <laughs> well, my Jesus said, hey, let your heart not be troubled. These things are going to happen. But let me tell you what, <laughs> the battle's not over. Okay? And I'm all about you guys, but I'm excited because he is going to return and set everything straight. And we look forward to that day. See, everyone has a banner, something they look to an identity they find security in that some people spend their whole lives chasing after it without ever reaching that place of rest so i have to ask what is your banner what is your banner what is the emblem of your hope what do you look for to find courage in times of difficulty you find yourself in despair. Where are you looking? Moses had the best answer. He said, the Lord is my banner. I think that's cool. I hope you circled it in your Bible. The Lord is my banner. 
It's not Jesus has a banner. But Jesus is my banner. There's a difference, guys. Do you know him? Are you his? Is he yours? That's what we do, guys. We rally to him. And that's what I'm going to encourage us to do. As we gather together on Sundays, we rally to Jesus. We keep looking to him. Amen? And we're going to conclude service doing that together. So if you guys would grab your communion cups at this time. We are all under the flag of Jesus. Okay, we are told in the scriptures that the Son of God must be lifted up, right? Look to him. Look to the cross. Our banner is the cross where he bled and he died for our sins. So, as we partake together, we're told to remember who? Jesus, right? So we see Jesus leading like Moses led the people. We see Jesus in prayer like Moses was in prayer for the people on high. We see Jesus ever living to make intercession for us. We see Jesus, guys, as our Joshua, our Savior, our Deliverer, leading us into a victorious battle. And we see Jesus as our banner, our flag, really the one who receives all the glory. Amen? Amen. So as we remember together, let's partake of the bread and the cup. Sometimes we find in the scriptures there's passages that we'll go back to over and over again to encourage us. And there's a reason why in the scriptures Exodus 17 is referenced often to remember what took place there between the Amalekites and the Israelites, how Moses was interceding on their behalf to remember the rock of our salvation, the rock that was struck there in the wilderness that poured forth this water that they desperately needed. When we have passages of scriptures like that, it brings us back to what is important. And that's one thing that we want to do as we study the scriptures. Okay, there, There's a point here. <laughs> it's not just good to know, but it's good to be a doer of the word also, right? We need to be doing it. So I want to encourage you guys, as we are casting vision for prayer, I want us to be engaging being purposeful not just like yeah i know it <laughs> we, we need to be praying but how can we be doing actually in that place of learning how to intercede okay and i know for me personally i've read dozens of books specifically on prayer over the years it's something that's part of my normal christian diet and one of the things that stirs me up the most is actually studying the prayers in the bible i don't know if you guys have ever done that Okay. Like my last study through prayers in the Bible, and they're chocked full. I and mean, the Bible has prayers all over. You want to learn how to pray according to the will of God? Start praying scripture. We just finished Psalms together uh, with our men's group on Thursday mornings. Wow. You know, like pray the Psalms. <laughs> it's good to do. But I went through and I got all of the Apostle Paul. A lot of you guys know I really like the Apostle Paul. He has so many prayers in his letters. Hey, be praying for all believers everywhere. Well, how do I do that, Paul? You know, well, God has given us his word and Paul shares a lot of neat prayers to have for one another, for the church, for us individually, for what God is up to, to be praying according to his will. So you can't go wrong when you're praying scripture, right? <laughs> so I want to encourage you guys to do that. I also want to throw out this book. I got a bunch over here. They're free, okay? Um, it's Praying the Bible. Uh, it's a shorter read, but if any of you guys want one, you can come and just grab one after service here. 
uh, be encouraged. Our brother Ozzy did a phenomenal job going through Exodus 16 with us. And he brought up George Mueller, and I love it because at the end of the book, he uses the example of George Mueller uh, in this book. And he's, uh, it's really cool. It also comes along the example of Jesus and others. But you guys will be encouraged to pray uh, a scripture by reading this. So I think it will encourage you big time. So if you'd like a copy, they're free. But again, it's not just like to learn more about prayer. No, I want to learn more <laughs> that I can actually do that. Because I think one of the most loving things we can do is pray. You know, And one of the things that I love is we have a Facebook group. If you're not a part of it, we have a closed group that's private just for Freedom Fellowship. And I love when you guys just post prayer requests in there. You know, And sometimes you guys just post, hey, rough day or just please pray for me today, period. <laughs> you know, cool. But we actually need to pray, okay? We need to pray. So let's be praying for one another. Let's engage on being, you know, uh, in prayer to be prayer warriors. And that's something we can grow in. You know, as I came into 2020, that was one of those things that God really put on my heart. Like, hey, I want to grow in my prayer life. Well, how is that going to happen? How is that going to work? You got to be intentional in it and if there's a book i can read to stir me up great you know uh do that and for me personally i've been really weighing out and i've actually asked many of you guys to be praying for me specifically just ministry wise i don't know about you guys but there's always so much that we can be doing in life but i want to be like jesus man i only do what i see the father doing <laughs> i want to be up to what he's up to you know, so wherever God has me, whatever I'm up to, it's like, God, where are you at work? <laughs> What's going on right now? And I know a big piece of that, guys, is praying. Didn't we see Jesus sneak away often? What was he doing? Praying to the Father. You know, that was really cool. Well, I want to love like Jesus loved. I want to be able to preach truth like Jesus preached. I want to live and love like he loved. To walk the way he walked, humbly. How do you do that? we got to be in prayer with the Father, spending time with Him. So, free book. encourage you guys to grab one. So, Father, thanks for these, uh, these times that we have as we get to gather together as family to look to you, to hear your word. I know your spirit's been stirring up many this morning, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would uh, just take these things. Um, we commit them to you. There were things said this morning that weren't of you. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you just totally would erase those from our minds. God, we want, we want you. God, we want to hear only from you. So please, Lord, be at work. God, teach us. Teach us to follow you well. Teach us to engage in the battle that's going on all around us. We don't want to be unaware, Father. But we only want to do what <laughs> we see you doing. We want to follow you well, God. We know the time is short, so I pray that you give us all a grace, Lord. God, teach us um, yeah, how to pray well, to be able just to talk with you throughout the day, to pray without ceasing. What a gift, what an honor. God, thank you for these brothers and sisters of mine. I know many are home today, too. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would be with all Lord, bring healing where healing is needed, please. God, as we leave this place and we're on mission, God, open up doors. Give us uh, just a boldness to be courageous with the gospel, to glorify you well. I pray in your name. Amen? Amen. Cool. Love you guys. Be praying. Sound good? Yes. Awesome.